Today we come to the conclusion of Romans chapter 1. Okay, uh, so this is week 10 in our... So if you can do the math, there are 16 chapters in Romans. 10 weeks to do chapter 1, so we should be here for a while. Okay, I'm just saying, I don't know if each chapter will take 10 weeks, but uh, I mean, this is sort of the intro chapter, had to get us in it, but... We're going to be in Romans for a while. Sometimes I feel like I'm rushing through it. Like, oh, that could do. We could. I could do a whole other sermon, a different sermon on that path. I mean, there's just layers upon layers in this uh, deep book. So we're in concluding chapter one, and we need to remember, uh, as as Chad sort of mentioned, uh, Paul's purpose for this section that we're in. This section really begins in Romans one eighteen goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And uh, I've asked this before, you guys hopefully know now, what's his purpose for this particular section? What's he trying to argue? What's he trying to show? Anyone? Where's Gary? He always at. Gary answers, and so we need somebody besides Gary. The purpose of Romans 1.18 to 3.20 is to show us our need. Our need for the gospel. His purpose is to demonstrate humanity's our need for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His argument is, and we'll see this in in uh, I think it's three uh, chapter three verse ten. Uh, he's going to come to the conclusion: there's none righteous, no, not one. That every person who's ever existed, Gentiles who we've been really talking about the Gentile world, and then next week we shift focus, chapter 2, he starts talking about the Jewish world. There's no none righteous. Everyone needs the righteousness of God to provide, provided to them by Jesus Christ. Remember Paul's summary of the gospel, uh, backing up to uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel saves. How does the gospel save? By revealing the righteousness of God to those who believe. Those who put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ receive the righteousness of God. And why do we need the righteousness of God? Because we, all of us, are unrighteous. And why? Is being unrighteous a problem? Well, there are many problems. But the main problem is what Paul then says in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Humanities, our greatest problem is that because of our ungodliness and unrighteousness, we're subject to, we will receive, we come under the wrath of God. And therefore, we need the righteousness of God provided to us by Jesus Christ to be saved, to escape the wrath of God that's taken on by Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We need the righteousness of God provided by Jesus Christ to to be saved, to escape from the wrath of God that's taken on. Jesus took on the wrath of God for us. He substituted He took our place. So in the first half of Romans uh, 1.18, Paul introduces the wrath of God. Then the second half, 
of Romans 1.18 all the way to verse 23, he describes, and we've talked about this for the last two weeks, seven steps leading to God's wrath. We've looked at those steps. So, uh, is Gary back? Okay, good. So, I'm going to ask questions, and apparently Gary's the only one that knows the answers. No, just kidding. Uh, So, so I'm going to go through those steps, but I'm going to ask you guys to help. If you have your notes for the past two weeks, you can pull them out. But the seven steps leading to uh, uh, the revelation of God's wrath. First, God reveals himself. I'm, I'm not going to wait a long time, so I'll say it. He reveals himself through his creation. He creates, and, and we know there's a God. Second, they see there's uh, God's revelation. They, we, humanity, sees that God is, and therefore we are without excuse. In fact, they know there is a God. However, number four, they do not respond properly to God. They don't honor God. They don't give thanks to Him. Instead, fifth, they suppress. Are you putting those up before they say them? Okay, you're waiting. Okay. Because that's cheating. I guess I can see back there if I look. They suppress the truth about God. And sixth, they suffer the consequences. They are corrupted. Great. I mean, not, that's not great, but it's great you guys know that. I, I, let me read that verse. Uh, where, where, I mean, all of these, all of the, these truths are found in Romans 1, 18 to 23, but this one I want us to, we're going to talk more about, so let me read. Uh, Romans 1, 21. But they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. There's a, a corruption that takes place when we suppress the truth about God. And that leads to the final, the seventh step. They make the foolish exchange. Romans 1, 22, 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They reject God. Humanity, really, humanity rejects God, rejects the purpose for which we were created, which is to glorify God. They exchange the glory of God and instead embrace and worship and glorify images of their own making, creating gods for themselves, becoming ultimately their own God. And this, this foolish exchange results in the righteous wrath of God being poured out on humanity. Because of the foolish exchange, because we reject God and we replace Him, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And how does he reveal this wrath? Well, last week we saw three times in Romans 1, 24 through 32, we read the phrase, God gave them up. This phrase means that God, in his wrath, turned them over, gave them up to their own devices. And more than just passively allowing them to, to go where their futile thinking and darkened heart would lead, it's, it's worse. It's worse than that. As we make the foolish exchange, as we rebel against and replace God, God in His wrath actively delivers us into the terrible sin effects of our sin, of our rebellion against Him. God's wrath is being revealed against the world as humanity exchanges the glory of God for other things, for anything. As John Piper put it, God's response to our disloyalty and treason a.k.a. the foolish exchange, is not first 
to send us to hell, but to see that we sink into the swamp we've chosen. The depth of our sin does not just deserve divine judgment, it is divine judgment. And last week we explored uh, really the first two instances of God's divine judgment against humanity. Those who've rejected and replaced Him. We saw that God gave them up uh, to sexual sin. To both impure and unnatural sexual relations. The focus of these sins was really the physical body. If you remember, we dishonor or destroy ourselves by seeking sexual satisfaction outside of God's natural created order. God created us male and female to be committed to each other in marriage and to be joined in, in that one flesh union. And we dishonor our bodies when we seek sexual satisfaction outside of His natural created order, outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That was last week. Now this week, we're going to explore the third, the final instance of God giving them up. We'll see that God not only gives them up to sins of the body, uh, sexual immorality, but also to sins of the mind. Paul will list 21 sins or categories of sins, uh, 21 sinful effects of a mind that's rejected God. And it's my prayer that as we again uh, not be th- that we not, again not be thinking only of how our society, and this will be clear, this will be clear how our society has fallen into these sins, but that we will again turn and look to ourselves again, maybe even more than before, we'll see ourselves in these verses. That as Paul lists these 21 different sins, it will be clear that he's describing in one way or another every single one of us. That it will be completely clear that we need the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the righteousness of God. And that once we've received the Gospel, that this will help us. This will help us. We'll know this is what we're prone to. Help us to continue to fight against the sin in our lives. So let's begin with Romans one twenty-eight, where Paul again repeats. Paul keeps repeating this thing, and we're going to look at it. Uh, and the thing is the reason for God giving them up. He doesn't want uh, there to be any mistake. Before we get to 28, let me again review the first other two times he said this. Beginning in verse 23-24, we already read this. They exchange the glory of, God, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Because of the foolish exchange, because they rejected and replaced God, God in His wrath gave them up. Second, verse 25-26, Paul writes, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. Because they foolishly exchanged truth Uh, Truth about God, truth about His holiness and righteousness and greatness uh, for a lie. Because they rejected God the Creator and worship instead creatures. His creation, God again in His wrath gave them up. Then in verse 28, Paul wants again no misunderstanding here. He repeats and rewords this foolish exchange. He adds to it really a little bit. Third time, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. This time Paul points to the fact that they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That word acknowledge in Greek is is epinosis. 
It means to recognize, to have knowledge of. It's a mind word. It's a, a thinking word. They've suppressed the truth about God to such an extent that in the futility of their minds, in the darkness of their heart, they've chosen to no longer recognize, to no longer hold on to the knowledge of God. Literally, they do not want God in their knowledge. Rejecting Him totally. And therefore, in His wrath, God gives them up. He hands them over. God, in an act of judgment, reveals His wrath by again withdrawing His hand of restraint. Again, I repeat this because Paul keeps repeating it. The foolish exchange, rejecting and replacing God, is at the heart of all of our problems. It's in the heart of every sin we commit. So hopefully, after stating it three times, there's no confusion about the reason for God's wrath. The reason God gave them up. Now let's look at the reality of God giving them up in this situation. Because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Didn't see fit. I don't, I'm not going to recognize God. Because they didn't want God in their knowledge. The reality is God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Notice they didn't acknowledge God with their mind, so God gave them up to a debased mind. This really illustrates the principle of letting the punishment fit the crime, right? We reject God. We don't use our minds the way they were created to be used. Our minds were created to honor and to glorify God. And therefore, God gives uh, our minds over to debasement. Not, not ab- abasement, but to debasement. That word debase literally means not standing the test. Not being approved. It was used to describe metals or coins as they were being refined. And and when they were inspected, they didn't measure up. They were unfit to be used and were rejected, set aside. There's poetic justice here, really. When we reject God in our minds, our minds become unfit. Our minds are rejected. They don't function properly anymore. They do not choose to do the right thing. We do what ought not be done. A debased, unapproved, unfit, rejected mind impacts what you say. It impacts who you are. Rejecting the true knowledge of God means that we lose any real sense, any understanding of of our purpose. We lose any real sense and understanding of the purpose of this world. We see this in our society, don't we? There's an inability to make any sound moral judgments. Our minds become defective. And this isn't a new thing. I mean, it may be increasing. But Isaiah, who lived 2,800 years ago, almost 2,800 years ago, wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The debased mind loses its, its ability to judge properly, its moral compass. Not only does it lead us to sin, but we can't even think clearly about our sin. We say evil is good and good is evil. Right is wrong and wrong is right. A man says, I, I no longer love my wife. I love this other woman instead and therefore it would be wrong for me to be, stay with my wife. The right, the loving thing would me, be for me to get a divorce and marry this other woman. A woman says, I'm not ready to be a mother. It would be wrong for me to bring a child into this world. The Father has abandoned me. The right loving thing for me to do would be to have an abortion. 
A young couple says, life is short and we're so in love. It would be wrong for us to wait for marriage. The right loving thing for us to do would be to show our love physically now in our relationship. Our minds are debased. They're unfit. We don't know right from wrong. We don't recognize the seriousness of our sin. We don't even recognize what sin really is. We choose to do what ought not be done. And what follows is the results of God giving them up to a debased mind. Beginning in verse 29, they were filled with all manner of... Let's stop there before we move on to this list of of 21 sins and categories of sins. Notice that Paul says, as a result of their debased mind, they are filled with all manner of... And it's going to be... I'm just going to use one word to describe it all. All manner of sin. The first word in the list is unrighteousness. And so, all manner of unrighteousness, all manner of sin... We just saw three examples of this in the area of divorce and abortion and fornication. And we'll see a lot more as examples to come. But first, I want us to think for a moment about this word filled. And in the Greek, it means to be full. To be filled. Okay? No mystery here. Uh, and what I want us to see is that our minds will be filled with something. Maybe you've heard it said, someone said, empty your mind. Have you ever tried to empty your mind? Good luck, Charlie. Good luck. Our mind is going to be filled with something. Your mind, one way or another, is going to be filled. What what Aristotle said about nature, I think, applies to our minds. He said, nature abhors, nature hates a vacuum. Not a vacuum cleaner, by the way. (laughs) I hate a vacuum cleaner. It kind of hurts my arm. But by vacuum, he meant true empty space where literally nothing exists. Aristotle observed that nature requires every space to be filled with something. Even if that something is is colorless, odorless air. And like nature, our minds abhor a vacuum. Our minds will be filled with something. And so when we remove, think about it, when we remove God, when we reject God from our minds, when we, when we don't stand for the knowledge of God and His glory in our minds, when we make the foolish exchange, then our minds naturally are filled with something else. Something, anything that is not God. If you remove God from your mind, something else will take its place. And what is not God What is not God is sin. Here's the principle. Your mind will be filled with something. Either God and the things of God or the things that are not God. And what are those things? Paul lists them. Not all of them, but he gives a good list in Romans uh, uh, 1.29-31. Let this sink in as as I read the results of the foolish exchange. The results of God giving them us over to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. God is the definition of righteousness. And when we remove Him from our minds and our life, then we will be filled with what is not God. We will be filled with unrighteousness and evil. Again, God is good. You want to, I mentioned this before. You want to answer the question, why is there evil in this world? This is the answer. Because we've rejected God. We've rejected good. And evil comes to fill it. God is good, and when God is removed, evil flourishes. Covetousness without God 
We try to fill our lives with other things. We covet what others have. Malice or, or wickedness. Without God, our thoughts and actions turn wicked. And the list goes on. I could do something with each one, but to hear the full impact here, they are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now that's quite a list. And you might be thinking, well, this is not the way all unbelievers are. Some are very conscientious, law-abiding, philanthropic, courteous, decent people. Yes, that's true. And Paul knew it was true. He, 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 he was quite aware, for example, of, of the Stoics of his day. I don't know if you know the Stoics, but they were people who prided themselves on not, not doing the things that he's just listed. And yet they weren't Christians. No, the point of this list is not to say that every person that rejects God will look just like this, will display every single one of these sins. When, when he says that all these sins are a result of for refusing to acknowledge God, he doesn't mean that every unbeliever or group of unbelievers has all of these sins in the same measure. Instead, these are examples. They're the sort of thing that comes from rejecting God. And the more God gives the people over, the more He uh, removes His restraining hand, uh, the more depravity we'll see. The more the society will have these sins in greater and greater measure. Paul gives us enough examples to show that virtually every form of evil is a result of us rejecting and replacing God. It's a result of the foolish exchange. Paul lists all these sins to cause us to see that the devastation and the destruction in our world brought on by sin is because we don't acknowledge God. Again, Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they didn't want God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And the list that follows is what ought not be done. The point of the list is to show that our rejection of God results in every sin ever committed in the world. Every sin comes from our preferring something else to God, making this foolish exchange. And every sin gets worse as God's wrath is revealed and He takes away His restraining hand and He gives us up to sink into the swamp we've chosen. When we read about murder... See it on the news, like last night, 15 shot in a club in Cincinnati. One, one dead, others critically injured. It's because we've rejected God. When our business executives are, are ruthless and greedy, it's because we've rejected God. When our politicians are deceitful and haughty, it's because we've our society, it's not because they've, I mean, they're part of it, but it's because we as a society have rejected God. When we gossip about each other behind our backs, it's because we've rejected God. When our sports stars and movie stars are insolent and, and boastful, it's because we've rejected God. When our children are disobedient to their parents, it's because we've rejected God. When we are faithless to our marriage vows, it's because we've rejected God. 
when we're heartlessly blind to the obvious wrongs and injustices in our world, it's because we've rejected God. You get the point. The reason there's sin and evil in our world is because we've exchanged the glory of God. We exchanged the purpose of our own creation for things, for images, for anything that's not God. And in Romans one thirty-two, Paul adds this. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice, and that word practice is, is live a lifestyle of, He's not talking about uh, just a, a sin that we sin and then we repent of. You live a lifestyle of. Those who practice such things deserve to die. Now in the Old Testament, some of these sins had, had death penalty. But he's really talking about spiritual death here. They deserve uh, eternal separation from God, eternal death. That those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice, those who live them. Earlier, Paul focused on the fact that God revealed Himself through creation. That he saw that, that we saw the revelation of God in, in the creation around us and we suppress the truth about God. We reject and replace God. Now in verse 32, he says that, that we not only know God from His creation, but, but we know God from our conscience. We have a moral knowledge of God. He says in Romans uh, 2, 14 and 15, Paul writes, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they, they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The Gentiles who didn't have the law of God in written form, they had it written on their hearts. Uh, God gives us a moral knowledge, a moral understanding. They know God's righteous decrees. They know what's right and wrong. They, we, do not sin in ignorance. We know that those who practice, who live a lifestyle of those uh, of sin, deserve to die. But like the truth of God seen in creation, we suppress this moral truth as well. And instead of recognizing sin in, in our own lives and in the lives of others, instead of calling sin, sin, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That word approving means uh, to be pleased with. We're pleased when others join us in our sin. This is maybe the ultimate picture of a fallen society. People engaging in sins of all types and approving of the sins of others, cheering each other on in our own sin. We get a sinful sense of satisfaction. Say that fast three. A sinful sense of satisfaction knowing that others are sinning in the way that, that we are. We feed upon the sins of others. We allow the sins of others to soothe our consciences. If everyone is doing it, then, then it can't be bad or, or it can't be all that bad. And our media is just amazing in helping us with this. Just one specific example, and I, I don't want to offend anybody here, but I, I probably will. Uh, there are, just so you know, there are thousands of examples, so I'm going to choose this one specific example. So if, if you're a fan of this particular show, I'm sorry. Arguably one of the funniest shows in TV history. 
uh, was the show Friends. I could have chosen others, just so you know. Aired for 10 years, 1994 to 2004. Now, if you've watched the show, and, and I have, uh, you know that these funny, loving people were constantly engaging in sin, specifically sexual sin. The guys on the show would speak openly, even in front of the, the women, about viewing pornography. We'd see all the characters involved with various sexual partners in relationships. And you know what? We Christians, watching it, knowing God's righteous decrees that those who practice, those who live this impure and unnatural lifestyle deserve to die. We not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. By watching, we're often approving of the, sin, of the sin we're seeing portrayed in the media. And how do I know we're approving? From our debased mind, because we along with the rest of America cheered when, when Ross and Rachel consummated their friendship. We approve of those who practice sin. Cheering it on. And that's the picture Paul leaves us with in chapter 1. It's kind of devastating. Because of the foolish exchange, God in His wrath gives us up to unrestrained sin of all kinds. Even to the point of approving, being pleased, cheering for others to sin with us, to sin like us, to sin. We just want to see that sin. Now we could stop there. That's where the passage stops. But that would be kind of a bummer. And it doesn't really give the full picture. Because there's no hope. That's what we find in our final point. Verse number four, not verse four. The reversal of God giving them up. The question is, how can we, or how does God, reverse the effects of God's wrath? How can we fight against these sins, this evil in our own lives and in our culture? How do we fight against our sin? And and how do we fight against cheering on the sins of others? And we might find the answer, and we, and we do find the answer, uh, throughout the book of Romans. It's, it's what Romans is about. It's, it's to help us really live this Christian life, to overcome this uh, sin. The good news is that God has provided to those who trust in Him a way to reverse the effects of His wrath. A way to reverse the effects of God giving them up. So He gives them up, but He can, he can, take, he can take us back as well. And if we'll receive and embrace God and His provision, His reversal, we can fight against uh, and overcome the sin in our lives. The key verse for this reversal of God's wrath is Romans 1.17. We read it in the beginning. Let's read it again. For in the Gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness that God demands from us, the righteousness that God demands from us, He freely gives us. If you turn to Him and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, if you receive Christ, you'll receive the righteousness of God. And if you have the righteousness of God, you're you're no longer under the wrath of God. God will no longer give you up to unrestrained sin. He will instead give you His, His Spirit that enables you to fight against the sin in your life. 
You not only receive the righteousness of God, but you're given the power to live in the righteousness of God. To overcome sin. To live a righteous life. And in Romans 6.17, Paul writes, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Notice this is God's work. Thanks be to God. God reverses the effects of, of giving us up to unrestrained sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but instead we're, we become obedient from the heart. He changes our heart. Instead of a heart filled with lust, our hearts are filled with His teaching, with His Word, with the standard of teaching to which we were committed. That word committed, uh, it's amazing to me that these things come together, but I guess since God did it, it's fine. That word committed is the exact same word that Paul uses in Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. The, in these verses, it's translated God, God well, not the God part, he, he gave them up. It's a, it's a giving them up to. It's committed, giving them up to. In God's wrath, He gives humanity up to unrestrained sin. But for those who trust in Christ, God reverses it. And He gives us up to uh, the standard of teaching. He gives us up to His Word. To His teaching that's holy and true and righteous. To, to teaching that impacts our lives and our minds. Paul writes in Romans 12.1, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the reversal. This is coming around. This is a different picture. When God has given us given us his righteousness, when we've trusted in Christ and we've received the righteousness of God, and when he gives us over to his teaching and his truth. And begins to make us obedient. Begins to transform us little by little. Our formerly debased minds are renewed by God. As we are filled not with the sins of this world, but with the truth of God's Word. Remember, our minds are going to be filled with something. And I believe to the extent we believe, I believe to the extent we believe in the Word of God, and we fill our minds with the Word of God, To that extent, we will be transformed by the power of God. We will become good and acceptable and perfect. And that long list of sins, and and it could be much longer, will become shorter and weaker in our lives. This is what Romans is about. The gospel of Jesus Christ that reverses God's wrath by giving us God's righteousness that we might be renewed and transformed. And the final thing I want us to see as we conclude uh, this section of Paul's letter, thinking of J.D. sharing this morning and him going out, is that, is that in many ways, Romans 1, 12, excuse me, 1, 18 through 32 is a description of our world. You know, it's a description of where we are in our day, but not just our world. It's a description of people in our world. People in our lives. People that, 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 that have rejected God. People that have rejected His glory in favor of other things. Other good things they might think. People that are 
receiving the wrath of God. People that are subjected to unrestrained sin. And what I want us to see this morning is that the only way to reverse God's wrath in their lives is the same way it's been reversed in our lives. Through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the message that we take to our world, that we take to our neighborhood, that we take to the nations. The Gospel is the only way of salvation. And it's the only way to reverse God's wrath and its eternal effects in the lives of people. Would you pray with me for this continual reversal of unrestrained sin in our lives, that God will continue to work in our lives that we might overcome by the power of His Spirit. This sin that, I mean, these lists as you read them, you know, you know, I didn't make a checklist and check off the ones that I've done, but I could have. These are things we're prone to. But God reverses that. He renews us. He transforms us. So we, so we pray that we'll be continually transformed by, by God's Spirit and that God would use us then you know, that's what it's about, right? It's not just so we, okay, I'm, I'm done. I've been sanctified, which hasn't happened yet and won't until I uh, see the Lord. But, you know, I've made it pretty far, you could say, and I'm done. That's not the point. The point is to keep moving in this process of overcoming the sin in your life and then to take the gospel Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's wrath will be reversed. The process can begin in in the lives of the people in our world. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the gospel. Just think about our lives and and where the how how far the world has sunk and how far it would be gone even if, if you hadn't intervened with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would continue to fill our minds and our hearts with the gospel, with the the truth of your word, of who you are and what you've done in our lives, Lord, that that would fill our minds, that your glory would fill our minds. And then from there, Lord, we would go out and we would reach out to those in our world who don't know you, those who who've rejected your glory, who don't want the knowledge of God in their in their minds, Lord, and we would give them an opportunity to know you. We would, we would share with them your word, Lord, and you would open their hearts. In Christ's name, amen.